Hi, and welcome back to NFL Game Time Podcast. With your hosts, I'm Alex Urbanson. And I'm Shai Dweck. Championship Sunday is this weekend. Two great games between two quarterbacks who have already had great careers and two up-and-coming young stars. We have a lot to get into, plus we're going to reflect on the careers of both Philip Rivers, who already announced his retirement, and Drew Brees, who is expected to announce his retirement within the next few weeks. So, Shai, let's get right into it, because it's game time. Game time. So, Shai, I thought with the news of Philip Rivers retiring just this morning, I thought we would kind of reflect on Philip Rivers' career as he's calling it as he's calling it quits after 17 years in the NFL. What are kind of your overarching thoughts on his career and your first and what were you what was first going through your mind when you saw he is officially hanging up his cleats? Um, the first thing that went through my mind, um, especially just, you know, watching, I guess, that that last Colts game where they really gave the Buffalo Bills a run for their money was I mean, yeah, the arm is doesn't look like it's there and he's had a great career, but he still got it, I think, mentally. Um he was able to kind of dissect defenses and I think, you know, I think if he wanted to return this year, it struck me that he could still compete with a, with a t- with a right team around him if he wanted to return. And right now that's something that, you know, I think with some of these older veteran quarterbacks, that's something you can't always say. Like, you know, being a Steelers fan with Ben Roethlisberger, he's expe- he's expected to return. I think I'd feel more comfortable with Philip Rivers next year, if, you know, in that position. So I think that's something that, that, that went through my mind, just uh, kind of how he still has, I think, the capacity to play the game at a high level. Um but also, I think his career has been pretty pretty monumental. I think it's it's really unfortunate that he never got to achieve that ultimate goal, and I think that's gonna, you know, always kind of be associated with his career, which is unfortunate because he really did have uh, a great career. But um, I think I think overall, I think he had a spectacular run at it, and. I'm glad he made the right decision, I think, for himself and, yeah, for his family, so. Yeah, and I think, you know, you were talking about his mind, and it seemed like it was <clears throat> as sharp as it ever was. That was always something that kind of stood out, and, you know, I'm scrolling through, you know, Twitter, everyone's kind of, you know, maybe sharing their Philip Rivers memories, and I scroll across what J.J. Watt said, and apparently in a Texans-Chargers game, Philip Rivers pointed out to one of the Texans players that he was lining up wrong for the Houston Texans. So that just goes to show you how, I mean, just how aware, how aware Philip Rivers was, not just of his team and where his guys should have been lining up, but also the other team. And he's expected to go into coaching in high school. And I think he definitely has the mind to do it. He definitely has the mind to be, I think, a very good coach you know, obviously he might just be doing it as kind of a nice, you know, fun thing in high school and he might not, you know, ever go into college or the pros. But I just think kind of that moment, you know, against the Texans just shows how sharp he was and how his mind worked as that was really one of his strengths throughout his 17-year run as the 
Chargers and and then end up being playing and finishing his career with the Colts. I also say you were talking about his competitive spirit. I mean, this is a player who played an entire AFC championship game with a torn ACL. So I think that also goes to show you just what this game meant to him, his competitive spirit that he played with each and every game and practiced with each and every day. As you know, you you heard him when he was when he was mic'd up how how just a fiery competitor he was, but. You know, really a great career for Philip Rivers as, you know, there are not that many players that can say they spent 17 years in the NFL, you know, let alone consistently being the starting quarterback of an NFL franchise like Philip Rivers was. I think there's going to be that stain, though, on his career that he never, let alone won a Super Bowl, he never won to a Super Bowl. And, you know, the Chargers had some good teams. The Chargers had some talented teams. It was never... Like the Chargers were depriving him, depriving Rivers of those necessary assets, and I think the Colts had a pretty good team around Rivers this past season. So, you know, you're not obviously gonna gonna put, you know, a hundred percent of that on Philip Rivers. It's it's a team game. There are 53 players on an active roster, but the Chargers and the Colts gave him talent, and I guess yeah, that one area where there's kind of going to be that but is. He never he never made it to the Super Bowl. It doesn't help that he played in an era where a lot of the best quarterbacks, you know, were especially in the AFC, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, I think are kind of the top ones. Obviously Ben Roethlisberger won a kind of a couple of Super Bowls uh in around that time frame as well. And then, you know, as he closed his career he had a, he had to deal with Patrick Mahomes, which is no small task. So, Shai, I guess, you know, where do you think, I don't want to say ranks among the all-time best, because I think there are obviously a lot of guys who put up similar stats and have won Super Bowls. But I guess, what do you think kind of he will be remembered as? What do you think the, the not winning or not even getting to the Super Bowl would do for his legacy? And then, I guess, do you think he will one, one day be a Hall of Famer when his, uh, when his eligibility comes? Yeah, I think, again, going back to what you were saying about that kind of fiery competitive spirit and that drive, I think that's something that's always going to be associated with him um, as a positive. And I I think, you know, he's had a, a great career. And, you know, although he has not won a Super Bowl, I think he will eventually, not maybe not first, ballot maybe not second even maybe not third but I think eventually he'll he'll find his way into the hall of fame I think yes a Super Bowl would have strengthened that case tremendously but um I think he's had a a great career and I think um what was the last part of your question I think I'm missing one part of it I guess just where how do you think he'll be remembered no yeah I think it's 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 he's going to be defined, I think, by that competitive that competitive fire that he played with, definitely. Yeah, that edge. I, I think, like I think he'll get into the Hall of Fame one day as well. Whether it's his first, second, third, whatever ballot, I think he will one day find himself in Canton, Ohio. I will say this: 
you look at his stats, and I believe he's really fifth across the board when you look at really the big statistics, yards, touchdowns, and completions. And that's very impressive. You know, Being fifth, no matter when you retire, is impressive. I will say you can't judge a quarterback based on stats alone because when you look at it, and Shai, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Joe Flacco might have more passing yards than Joe Montana. And no one's going to go out there and say Joe Flacco was a better quarterback than Joe Montana. So I think it's very tough to compare eras. Obviously, you know, with each and every year the game evolves, it becomes more and more of a pass-happy league. And, you know, in the 80s and even 90s, when, yes, it was becoming more of a pass-happy league, that just doesn't compare to what we've seen these last five to ten years, and as the game, again, continues to evolve, continues to grow, especially with some of these rule changes, making it you know easier to you know get big chunk plays, making it more difficult to play defense, especially if you're a cornerback or safety. So I say I do think Rivers probably should. I do think he should be a Hall of Famer, and I do think he will be a Hall of Famer. But it's tough to... And this isn't just for Phil Rivers. This is for any quarterback, for that matter, to say, well, he's top five in this or he's top ten in that, and therefore he's a Hall of Famer, just because it's so tough to compare eras, especially when you just see how much the game has changed over these last really 20, 25, 30 years that, you know, guys like Joe Montana aren't, I believe, even in the top 15, and yet... In my mind, Joe Montana is firmly the second greatest quarterback of all time. No, I think statistics uh, are such a big part of today's NFL. But I think I have to, you have to remember, you know, when comparing uh, players, the eye test is just as important, if not more so. So I think, you know, Philip Rivers, you know, will have that, I think, taken into account for him, whether, you know, he's placed... Um, in the top 10 in a category or outside of that. So I think I definitely agree with you. Um, now, I think unless you have any more thoughts on Philip Rivers, do you want to return to uh, Drew Brees? And I just want to get your thoughts on his career as it seems like it may be coming to an end. I guess the guy who Philip Rivers replaced in uh, at the time San Diego in Drew Brees, and Shai, at least for me, the slam dunk, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. No uh, doubt. I don't think that's mu- that should be in question. Look, I think as I was just saying with the stats, you have to take everything with a grain of salt regarding statistics. But that doesn't mean you ignore them completely. Sure. And when Drew Brees was number one in yards, number two in touchdowns, and I feel like he has almost every completion percentage record because that's one thing. Completion percentage, you could throw 500 passes, you could throw 100 passes, and completion percentage shows how accurate of a pass you are regardless of how many passes you've thrown. So in a pass-happy league, in an era where we're seeing quarterbacks throw more times than ever before, for Drew Brees to consistently set records with his completion percentage, I actually think might might make that more impressive just because the more passes you throw, 
the greater the chance, you know, there'll be incompletions and your completion percentage will go down. Just like, you know, in baseball, if you have a very high batting average through 10 games, great. But that's very that's a very small sample size. And you probably want to see that through 100 games. So I think Drew Brees, yes, you can look at the yards, you can look at the touchdowns. But I think the completion percentage alone in a very pass-happy league just shows how great of a consistent passer he was. And I know these last five years, you know, when they were they the Saints were consistently a playoff team and he didn't get the job done. From a good chunk of his career, I'd say kind of 2010-2011 to maybe 2016-2017, Saints had one of the worst defenses in football. Their offensive line wasn't great. You know, they had guys like Marcus Colston and Brandon Cooks and Jimmy Graham and eventually Michael Thomas. But a lot of it was also on Drew Brees and on Drew Brees' shoulders. And Drew Brees, again, on a team where the defense at times was non-existent, had to put up points. And he kept the Saints in a lot of games that I know a lot of quarterbacks I don't think could have kept the Norman Saints in games. I think, you know, you also look, you know, Drew Brees has played, you know, came into the league in 2001, was a second-round pick. You know, he wasn't this highly-touted prospect coming out. He goes through, you know, the injury. I believe it was a shoulder injury that kind of, you know, that ended his Chargers career and his Chargers tenure. He goes to the Saints, and remember, there there are a lot of questions. Will he be able to throw a football again? The Dolphins thought about you know signing him, but they were scared off of the injury. And for Drew Brees to end up having the career that he did, I just think is very impressive, and it really should. Same with Philip Rivers. It really should be celebrated, you know, what he did for the Saints. I mean, the Saints pretty much were an irrelevant franchise before Drew Brees got there. He won a Super Bowl. You know, winning one Super Bowl is is an impressive feat that I don't think should be ignored. But he put the Saints on the map, and he made them a competitive team, a playoff team, at least for what I felt like, more times than not. Which was very impressive, especially, you know, this, again, the Saints are a team that, you know, you look back in history, they had not had that much historical success until Drew Brees got there. So he changed the culture of that organization, the trajectory of that franchise, got them a championship, their one and only championship in their entire team history. So, and then to go along with, he might be, you know, again, not the greatest, not the second greatest, not probably top five greatest of all time. But I think there's an argument to be made that he is the most accurate passer of all time. I think I agree with basically everything you said. And just to add on, you said, you know, he turned that organization around and you left his imprint on it. And I think the same can be said for the city of New Orleans. And we remember, yes. you know... He... Me, I probably should have made that more clear, but I, when I was talking about that organization, I... He put the Saints on a map where New Orleans, you know, the place really rallied around it, especially, you know, when they were battling the hurricane there. And, I mean, the Saints were a team and an organization that people rallied around. And, you know, a lot of it was because of Drew Brees and his leadership and what he's done for that organization for, you know, what, a decade and about a decade and a half now. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, taking them to the Super Bowl after Hurricane Katrina, I think, was remarkable and he really garnered the love and the attention from that city and was you know a leader for I think 
on and off the field. And I think um, he'll always be remembered as, you know, that guy who really turned that franchise and that city um, around in a way. So I think that, you know, cannot be ignored when looking at his his tremendous career. You mentioned the statistics. They are, they speak for themselves, I think. And he's he's been great, yes, and he's dropped off a little bit, you know, this year and last year, but maybe a little bit of the arm strength, but he's consistently been, for the most part, very accurate throughout his entire career, you know, mentally so sharp, and he always seems to elevate, maybe except for the exception of this last year, where he had regressed, but he always seems to elevate the talent that's around him. And I think we saw that you mentioned keeping the New Orleans Saints in close games where, you know, with a struggling uh, offensive line, not a ton of help around him, and then obviously a really, you know, not very good defense as well. So I think he was able to um, to elevate the talent around him. I think that's something that really cannot be ignored when you, when you evaluate that quarterback position, which is um, really the central a- aspect of, of a leader a leader on the team, and I think Drew Brees completely embodies that. He was a leader for his offense, a leader of that team, and a leader for that city. We saw it. Michael Thomas, the receiver, said it himself that he easily could have shut it down for the season, but he wanted to come back and try to win one, mainly for Drew Brees. So I think that just goes to show you the respect and impact that Brees had on his teammates, on that entire organization, the coaching staff, the front office, even ownership, and then, of course, the fans. Shai, I also want, you know, we talked about the toughness that Philip Rivers had, you know, playing through the torn ACL. I saw today, we knew about, you know, the rib injury, the lung. It turns out he played through 11 broken ribs, a collapsed lung, Apparently, he had, I think, a torn labrum and a torn, like, plantar fascia. So, he was also playing through a lot of pain and injury, and he never complained. You never heard any... We knew about the injury mainly just because of, you know, he had to be thrown out. There was no way he could play immediately through all that. But, I mean, have the torn plantar fascia and the torn labrum, I didn't even know until I saw that today. So, I think it... It goes to show the toughness that Drew Brees brought to the table that he was going to go out there for his team, his organization, and this, you know, the city of New Orleans and try to bring them a second championship. So I just think you know, there's not enough good things you can say about Drew Brees and about his career. And, you know, I again, I think Philip Rivers goes into the Hall of Fame. We'll see when. I think Drew Brees should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I don't think there should be a question surrounding it. Yeah, we agree there. Um, after reflecting on both of those um, remarkable careers, let's turn our attention to the future and the two very exciting conference championship games to decide who will be representing the AFC and the NFC in the Super Bowl. It's been a long road, Alex. What 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 are you, what are your initial uh impressions and we can start um with that Bucks Packers game. Well, I'll say this, you know, we're talking about Breeze Rivers kind of the past. We're talking about the future and that includes Tom Brady, who's 43 years old. That when you were saying, you know, now it's moving on to the future, we're still talking about a guy who was drafted 
before Breeze and a good what four years before Rivers. So that that that's what initially stood out. Look, both these teams. I'm gonna go with the Packers here, but it's Tom Brady on the other side. I don't feel good about it. Keep in mind, it looked like the Packers were gonna take firm control in the NFC, and then Tampa blew them out, winning 38 to 10. And I believe you know Rodgers, who throws five interceptions all season, threw two in that game. Uh, apparently, uh, I think it may have been Devontae Adams who said that they were stunned by some of the ways Tampa blitzed. Or, you know, the adjustments that the Bucks made that the Packers did not expect. Now, I doubt, I think the Packers will probably become, you know, probably come into this game just a little more prepared. Just a gut feeling. And I think they'll be ready to make adjustments if need be. Whether that be, you know, at the end of the first quarter, at halftime, fourth quarter, whenever. I think they will be ready to make those necessary adjustments. But this is what, I feel like this is what we wanted. Brady Rogers. I feel like this was probably an ideal super matchup, a Super Bowl matchup, ever since Rodgers kind of took over the league when he got, you know, when he got the starting job after Brett Favre left. We've been wanting a Favre, or not Favre. I mean, a Favre, I think a Favre-Brady matchup would have been cool too. But uh, we've been wanting a Brady-Rodgers matchup in the playoffs for the longest time. And I think we finally get it. It's not the Super Bowl, but NFC Championship game, I mean, I, I know I'll be watching on my couch, probably eating some popcorn, ready to go. I think to, the Saints, I thought, did a good job on the Buccaneers' offense. You know, I know you can look at it 30 points. The Saints' offense didn't help. You know, Tampa was put in some really favorable spots given some of the turnovers that they were able to force. But I thought the Saints did lay out a solid blueprint because, at least in my eyes, this Tampa Bay offense just did not look as crisp, did not look as smooth as we've seen in some of the you know past recent weeks. I think so. I'm also really excited going on the defensive end. Giant Alexander is might be is in the conversation in, as one of the best NFL cornerbacks. He has had an unbelievable year. Shai, do you know how many yards he allowed in the divisional game against the Rams this past weekend? I do not know, Alex. Well, if you had get zero, you would have been high. He allowed negative three yards in in that game. That's a remarkable. guess of zero, which is, you know, a pretty solid guess, is is more than what he allowed. Which, you know, I know Cooper Cup didn't play, but Robert Woods is a solid receiver. And I don't care. Allowing negative three yards in any game in the NFL is extremely impressive. Extremely impressive. Yeah, especially so, at that position. Oh, go, sorry, like, go ahead. No, yeah, especially at that position where uh, it seems like these receivers, you know, get away with murder. And it's so hard to, to, to cover them. They're so dynamic and fast. And that that's really... That's something I didn't know coming into to, to this podcast. I knew he did a tremendous job but i did i could not have uh guessed uh a, like who's gonna you know perform such a feat i'll let you finish your, your point out i guess like if you're the packers i don't think i would as mike emmons in my mind is their number one receiver mike emmons is the number one receiver we saw marshawn Lattimore. he allowed the three-yard touchdown for the most most part Lattimore thought shut down evans if I, i'll have a question for you shy if you're the packers with the amount of weapons Tampa has and that anyone can beat you at any time, 
do you let Alexander travel with Evans? Or do you kind of say, no, you know, you're going to only play the left or the right side knowing that you're probably, you know, both receivers, both outside receivers are great big play weapons. And we want you, you know, we're fine with you covering any one of them in, in, in any situation. So if you're the Packers, you travel, Alexander, or you say, you know what, Tampa has enough weapons as is. We don't care if you're playing against Brown and Evans, just shut them down. Well, I think it depends on how confident you're feeling in your front seven. Because the, the I think the Packers may have possibly a better secondary than New Orleans does. Um, and I think, but I think the same can't be said about the front seven. I think New Orleans maybe have one of the best front sevens in football. And I just don't think Green Bay has quite the utility there. So I think... You know, New Orleans played a lot of man that game. You know, they had two matchups as we were previewing. You had Malcolm uh, Malcolm Jenkins shutting down Rob Gronkowski. Um, and you also had, you know, as you said, Marshawn Lattimore shutting down Mike Evans. And Chris Godwin didn't do much that game. You know, it just seemed like... They got know. beat by Leonard Fournette. I think Leonard Fournette led the team in receptions for the Bucks with five. I could be mistaken, but I believe that that's what happened. That sounds correct. So I think, you know... Tampa's not beating Green Bay if that happens, and Tampa knows that. Right. So I think it's it's about, do you want to stick with that blueprint? Because I think before that game, you're thinking, underplay zone, I can't match up with all these different weapons. But now, you could say, all right, maybe we take Jair Alexander, we put him on Mike Evans, we take him away, and then, you know, maybe, you know, Kevin King supposedly could do a pretty solid job on Chris Godwin Godwin, and maybe you shade a safety in that direction to kind of slow him down so I think it's it's about um what you want to do there if you want to play man or zone I think if you want to play man you've got to have confidence in your pass rush and your ability to stop the run without without committing all those bodies to the box um because I think that's going to be important because otherwise I think you play zone well, I think they definitely have talent on that front. So, I mean, you look at the Smith brothers and Preston Smith and Darius Smith. And Kenny Clark, I feel like, had a really big game and made his presence felt against those Los Angeles Rams. So if he can have that type of game, that can make it really tough for Tampa getting pre- – because Brady's not the most uh, you know mobile guy. We know that. And we've seen in some of his big losses deep in the playoffs, it's when you're getting pressure on him, especially up the middle – he cannot, in that case, you're getting pressure up the middle. He can't step up in the pocket. So I think that would, you, Kenny Clark, I think is going to be a really big key to the game in terms of getting pressure on Brady, letting some of your edge guys be able to wrap him up. Because if Zadarius Smith is, getting, is winning his matchups, but if Brady can step in the pocket, you know, it won't matter. Brady, obviously, he's not known for his mobility, but he has shown he, he can be very good at moving within the pocket. You know, just great footwork, feeling the pressure maybe to his blind side, moving, stepping up in the pocket, and delivering, obviously, beautiful balls downfield. I'm going to, I think, I'm going to go with the Packers, mainly because of Aaron Rodgers seems unstoppable right now. In my mind, he's the no doubt about it MVP. I know, you know, maybe he didn't have the greatest game against the Rams, but He's the MVP of this league this year in my mind, and Devontae Adams might be the, might be the offensive player of the year. And 
I was really surprised that New Orleans they didn't they and I've been surprised with teams that maybe are get are struggling with some of their receiver cornerback cornerback matchups against Tampa when they're facing a guy like Jamal Dean or a Carlton Davis is those guys can get burned on double moves. They're not the most disciplined guys. They can be solid. They're solid cover guys. They're not bad. They're decent. But they can get really burned on double moves. And when you have a guy who, you know, like Devontae Adams, obviously great at making contested catches, but also what really separates him and is a big reason why he has established himself as one of, if not the best receivers in the NFL, is his route running ability. He's probably one of the best route runners in the NFL. And we know that's probably one of the weaknesses, I feel like, of this Buck secondary. I feel like if they're going up against a guy who has great traits but can't run, I actually have more confidence in those guys, in the Buck secondary guys, to at least, you know, try to limit. But when they're going up against guys who are great or great at running, have perfected that craft, that part of their game, that's where I start to worry. I will say, Shy, it's almost like they're the opposite of the Packers defense. Because you were saying you have confidence in the Packers defense or in the Packers secondary, but not the front seven. It's the complete opposite with Tampa. I have a there's potential in the secondary, but there are a lot of concerns. Kind of like the Packers defensive line. But that Buccaneers front seven, you were saying the Saints have one of the best. I think the Bucks have one of the best in the NFL. And it looks like they could be getting a key piece in Vita Vea. I thought that was done for the air. They activated him off IR. They have a 21-day window to add him to the act officially to the active roster. We'll see if he is ready for Sunday. There's obviously no guarantee, but I, if they can get Vita Vea back, that front seven becomes really potentially dominant. And I have a question for you, Shy. We saw Devin White miss the game against Washington, came back against the Saints, was everywhere. That was another matchup that I highlighted, Devin White against Alvin Kamara. Kamara, I feel like, did not do much, especially in the receiving game, which is his specialty. Is Devin White quickly becoming one of, if not the best male linebackers in the NFL at, I believe, 22 years old? For sure. And, you know, we were talking about this before the podcast, and I had to take a minute to think. Because, you know, his impact on the field right now for that Tampa Bay defense is unmatched. It just seems like it's unparalleled. So, and I and I kind of look at other, you know, middle linebackers around the league. And, you know, even with a guy like Bobby Wagner, I'm not sure if that same impact, you know, that, that Wagner is having on, on the, on the, Seah- on the hat on the Seahawks defense is comparable to that of Devin White. So I would answer that question with yes. Right now, I think Devin White could very well be the best middle linebacker in football at the astonishing age of just 22, Alex. It really is incredible. Again, this is this was, it's his second year in the NFL, and I feel like every play at or even behind the line of scrimmage, he's involved. He's right there either making the play or the second or third guy there. Even if you know maybe a defensive tackle was the initial guy, you know, stuffing the pocket or, you know, making a play against the run. So, yeah, I'm still going with the Packers just because, believe it or not, I think Rodgers has just been more consistent than Brady. And I think Devontae Adams, his route running, that's kind of what makes Devontae Adams a receiver he is. That against a potentially undisciplined Buccaneer secondary, that really concerns me. But again, Shai, 
the quarterback on the Bucks is Tom Brady, and I think it, it's safe to say you should never, ever, no matter what the score is, no matter how much time is left, no matter who he's going up against, count that man out. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think um, I'm going to go here with the Packers as well, and mainly for the reason that I just I, I don't feel great about how the Packers match up against uh, the Bucks. Um, on that on did on their defensive side of the ball, I think I feel okay about it. But I feel I'm you know thinking about how Aaron Rodgers can attack that Buck secondary. If I'm if I'm Todd Balls, I'm having trouble sleeping at night trying to devise a game plan there. Because if you play zone, he's gonna pick you apart. You can't play man against Devontae Adams, and even if you double him, I still have confidence that Alan Lazard, Marcus Valdez Scantling. Uh, Economia St. Brown, they, I think they can win their matchups, Alex, against some of these cover guys that the Bucks have there. I, I, I just, I don't feel good about that, and I think that's, you know, one of the main reasons I'm going to pick the Packers here. Again, you can't count out Tom Brady and the Bucks, but that's that's who I'm going to roll with. Absolutely, and going to your point about Marcus Vadis-Gantling and Alan Lazard, I feel like Adams is the volume guy. He's going to get a good eight catches, ten catches even, in big moments. But how many times it's, it's the big play, like last week against the Rams, the play that really iced them the game was the long touchdown to Lazard. How many times it's, you know, Lazard, Lazard slash MBS, I feel like always make one or two long big chunk yard, even a touchdown, a game. So Adams is the number one. But Lazard slash Marcus Vandeskantling, kind of that wide receiver two, wide receiver three, again, against the Buccaneers secondary, that can be very undisciplined at times. That does concern me. Another One more matchup before I know we move on to the AFC side is Robert Tanyan, who's really stepped up in his tight end role against Antoine Winfield, Winfield Jr., I think that's going to be a really fun matchup because Winfield is quickly becoming one of the better, I think, young safeties in his game. He's he's a guy who I feel like he can play up in the box, make big plays at the line of scrimmage, tackles very well, but he can also make big plays on the ball. You know, we saw with the the fumble on Jared Cook. He, I think he's a solid guy in coverage. So I think Winfield actually is very versatile, and in the second round is prone to be a real value pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, that's definitely something to watch, and I think the Buccaneers should dominate, I think, get the better of that matchup. I think if you want to put Winfield on him, you want to put Levante David on him, or even a Devin White, I still like the Bucs uh, to win that matchup. I think Tanya stepped up. You just got to watch him in the red zone still, but I think I have confidence uh, that Tampa Bay can take that weapon away. Um, as they're a little more suited to that safety linebacker position than they are in that, at that against the wide receivers where they have to uh, match up with their corners who aren't as strong. We all, we also see that as great as this passing offense of Aaron Rodgers has been, they've shown the ability to establish the run, get huge plays on the run to set up Aaron Rodgers for some play action. I, that run defense, that front seven, especially if Tampa's getting Via Vea back, against the Packers' offensive line, which dominated the Rams' defensive line, that'll also be a really good matchup. Which run get Bucks have one of, I think, Bucks might have the best running defense in the NFL. And obviously the Packers are very good at running the ball. Aaron Jones has had a lot of success, especially as of late. So 
Bucks run defense and Packers Packers run game. Although it won't be the sexiest and most talked about matchup of the week, I think it ought to be a very competitive matchup as both are very good at what they do in those categories. Yeah, Alex. So we're both we analyzed the matchups, kind of the keys there. We are both taking what looks like the MVP in Aaron Rodgers to make it to the Super Bowl. Now let's move on to the AFC title game. 6.40 p.m. on Sunday. Bills going to Arrowhead to take on the defending Super Bowl champions for now, the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think a lot of our analysis and I think and the picks will be under the assumption that Patrick Mahomes does indeed play and is healthy enough to at least be most of what Patrick Mahomes is what we know of today. So I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. But, Shai, the concussion is what's going to get talked about all week. And obviously, it should be talked about. If he doesn't clear protocols, he's not playing no matter what. But I'll say this, the toe injury, the turf toe injury, I don't know why it's called turf toe. T- turf toe does not, turf toe I feel like sounds, it makes it sound like you stubbed your toe in the turf. Or you got a piece of, I don't know, maybe you got a piece of turf stuck in between your toes. I don't know. Turf toe is a lot, is a lot more painful than, than the name of the injury. Now, I've never had turf toe, so I don't know. But I've seen guys miss a good two, three, four weeks because they've had turf toe. So I'm assuming, you know, for a football player who's usually the toughest, who's usually pretty, pretty tough, to miss that much time usually means turf toe is a lot more painful than it sounds. So let's say he clears concussion protocol, he's good to go. The mobility, although we don't think of Patrick Mahomes, in terms of mobility, is the same as Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. How many times are the big Mahomes plays because he's made two guys miss with his legs and spun around a third guy and then makes a great sidearm throw as he's running, you know, on the run. So I think Patrick Mahomes' is a bit, a bit mobility, excuse me, has been a big reason why he's taken this kind of meteoric rise in so little time. You know, you think about the big, his big long touchdown run against the Titans at the end of the first half last AFC Championship game. Those are the type of plays he can make with his legs. So we'll see how much the turf toe possibly limits or hinders his ability to move in and out of the pocket and even make plays past the line of scrimmage with with his legs when he needs to. The injuries, both the concussion and turf toe, do make me nervous, and it does scare me a little. But I'm still going to go with the Chiefs. I do think Buffalo can win this game, but they have to play better. They have played two games against the Colts and Ravens where they have not played well. A big reason why they've won each of those two games is because they have been gifted opportunities by both of those teams. The Colts and Ravens have beaten themselves up to the point where if you're the Bills, yeah, you didn't play great, but you didn't. It wasn't like, oh, we didn't make mistakes. It was we made less mistakes than the other team. And usually one or two mistakes, and that's it in the playoffs. But the Bills, and again, I'm not, I mean, you play who's on your schedule. You play who you're, you know, matched up against, so you can't blame them. But the Bills, I feel like, have, have not, they have not had to play perf, perfect, let alone great football, in order to win these next two games. 
And Josh Allen, although he's made some plays where he's looked like Josh Allen, I feel like he has not been as consistent as we saw that made him that MVP candidate coming into the postseason. And I think there's a big question of, Shai, can Josh Allen, down in the fourth quarter, lead his team to to a potentially game-winning field goal or touchdown drive? We haven't seen that from Josh Allen yet. We've seen that from Mahomes. We've seen that from Rodgers and Brady, obviously. We haven't seen that from Josh Allen yet. So I think the the play of the Buffalo Bills the last two games worries me. When you're facing a Kansas City Chiefs team that, yes, they're very flashy and they're aggressive and they're very appealing to, you know, they're eye candy, as they're described a lot. But they're also coached extremely well. Offense, defense, special teams, Andy Reid, Steve Spagnuolo, their defensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. They coach this team very well. So not only, yes, you'll see and get excited about those big splash plays, but they're not going to make many mistakes either. And that's a big reason why the Bills have made it to this point is because they've relied on some of the mistakes made on the Colts and Ravens, and you can't do that. Now, if the Bills play like they did in the regular season and how they close out the regular season, then I actually could see the Bills definitely winning this game, especially if Mahomes is not 100%, which I don't expect him to be 100%. But I think with concerns about the Bills these last two weeks, and under the assumption that I do think Mahomes plays, I do like the Chiefs to squeak out to squeak out a win. Uh, again, to squeak out, I do think the Chiefs do squeak out a win against Buffalo. I think it'll be a good game. I definitely think it'll be close, especially if the Bills played the caliber and brand of football that we saw as they closed close at the regular season. But they're not going to be able to get away with some of the things they got away with against Indianapolis and Baltimore. That's just not going to happen against this very well-coached and fundamentally sound Kansas Kansas City Chiefs team. Yeah, I agree. I think the Bills got to step up um, basically every aspect um, from that game against Baltimore. And I think just starting on their offensive side of the ball, yeah, you know, okay, I guess. Made enough plays to win, but I feel like... I mean, you need to be better than that against Patrick Mahomes. You need to be operating at top capacity. We we need to see a 50-burger against the Dolphins when their playoff hopes are on the line against a very good defense. That's the type of offense we need to see. That's the type of firepower we need to see. And they also can't do the thing, oh, yeah, we just, we're not going to run the ball against Baltimore. They can't. That's not going to work. you got to stay balanced. You gotta show some commitment to the run. You gotta keep Mahomes off the field. And I, I get that Baltimore, you know, they had just halted Derrick Henry, which is a great task, a great feat. But you've gotta just run the ball. You have to be able to control time of possession in some sort of way, shape, or or manner. So I think that is gonna be is gonna be key. On the other side, I think the Bills defense has the Bills secondary I think has been the really the thing that's been impressing me over these last you know few weeks in the playoffs where they really haven't played great football the secondary has played very well and yeah some of that has been maybe not stellar quarterback play from Tannehill and um sorry not Tannehill from 
Lamar Jackson, and I think Philip Rivers played a solid game. But um, I still I I have confidence in them to be able to kind of slow down you know Patrick Mahomes uh, in that passing attack, slow down the weapons in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I think the Tre'Davious White Tyreek Hill matchup is something that could be very interesting. And you know, can a, a Micah High or Jordan or Jordan Poyer take away a, a Travis Kelsey, slow him down? So I think that those are key matchups to watch. Um, but I'm more concerned about this Buffalo defensive line. I think Kansas City is going to be able to slow them down. They're not going to be able to get pressure with four, and you can't blitz Patrick Mahomes. At least a healthy Patrick Mahomes who is mobile, you can't blitz him. If you blitz him, he'll find the, def- the, the the soft spot in the defense. And I don't feel confident that the Bills can get pressure with four. And even if they do, I don't know if that's going to be enough. Now, could the mobility of Patrick Mahomes be in question? Could that change things here? Yes. And that's why it's so key. But I'm going to s- assume that Patrick Mahomes, for the most part, is still Patrick Mahomes. In that vein, I'm I'm going to take Kansas City to eke out a win just because of that confidence, uh, that edge they have on that offensive side of the ball, and because the consistency for Buffalo, they have not been top-notch, as you were saying, over these last few weeks. We saw against the Colts, they got destroyed at the point of attack. At the line of scrimmage, the Colts offensive line had their way all day long, run game, pass game. Maybe they got some pressure once in a while on Phillip Rivers, but pretty much Phillip Rivers, who is... A lot more immobile than Patrick Mahomes. I feel like he had plenty of time to throw, get the ball downfield. And we know that's very dangerous against the Kansas City Chiefs. I also want to bring up, remember, we kind of talked about Packers, Bucks. Bucks destroyed them, had their way when they played early in the regular season. These two teams played earlier in the regular season. And the Bills did a pretty good job against Mahomes for the most part. The only problem is the Chiefs, who are not known for their run game whatsoever, ran wild on Buffalo. And the Chiefs showed if they have to, and if Buffalo's going to give it to them, they can win by running the ball, which makes the Chiefs even more dangerous than I think we already thought they were. The Bills, though, they they have to get push. They have to get at least some pressure, some pressure up the middle. Because, look, you can carry in a similar game plan against the passing attack, which I think the Chiefs also could be more prepared for than last time after watching film. But also, the, the Chiefs showed you they can beat with just running the football. And I know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will see how healthy he is, even if he does play, but Darrell Williams had a solid game. I think Darrell Williams had a nice game against the Browns. I think you know they threw him a couple of screen passes, just short passes, get the ball in his hands. I thought he did a decent job in that area of the game. The Bills are going to have to win at the line of scrimmage if they want any shot at winning this game. Because that's something they failed at, you know, especially against the Colts. And you know, they got they were much better against the Ravens, did a pretty good job. Pretty good job there. But yes, the passing offense needs to be your number one priority, but you can't completely give up on the run and allow the Chiefs to run wild. That's just the Chiefs can show you they can beat you in that area too. And obviously Tredavious White Tyreek Hill, that'll be a marquee matchup that should be fun to watch. Also, Shy, we were talking about Devin White and how he's already climbing the ranks and at 22 becoming one of the best middle linebackers in the game. 
The Bills have their own young stud Edmund linebacker, and that's Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds, you know, I'd probably, if I ranked those two, I'd probably put Devin White ahead of Edmonds, but I definitely think it's close. And I definitely think, again, Tremaine Edmonds, what was he, 19, 20, coming out of college? This is only his third year in the NFL. He's taken significant strides over those three years. So both kind of the Bills and Bucks have these great young middle linebackers that should be there for years to come. So I also just wanted to shout out Tremaine Edmonds. So now I want to bring up kind of Edmonds versus Kelsey. Now, I don't think Tremaine Edmonds versus Travis Kelsey alone will be a favorable matchup for the Buffalo Bills. But I definitely think Edmonds against Kelsey can be part of the equation for not necessarily completely halting and stopping Kelsey's overall production, but you got to limit him. It's so much of limiting the big play. We know Kelsey is great at finding the open spot in the middle of the field, being kind of a safety blanket to Patrick Mahomes, especially when he's on the move, scrambling in and out of the pocket. So I definitely think Edmonds can be part of an of a bigger solution to limiting Kelsey's production, limiting Kelsey finding that open spot in the middle of the field. So both, again, Devin White, Tremaine Edmonds, both the Bucks and Bills should be very excited of really a pillar and a foundation in the middle of their respective defenses. Yeah, I think, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, Mick Kusum, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer will certainly be key to kind of neutralizing number 87, who's huge um, for that Kansas City Chiefs offense. I think we are both, you know, we said we're both going with Kansas City in a close game. Do you have any uh, last thoughts on this matchup, uh, NFC Championship game, or anything else as we um, look to wrap up this episode? Well, I, I have a couple of things. I think it's kind of one uh, one in each and every game. I have a question for you, Shy. At what percentage of like Mahomes compared to like his normal self, 75% of what we usually get, 80%, do you feel comfortable if you're a Chiefs fan or someone who I guess is just picking the Chiefs? What percentage, like 75% of Mahomes you think is good enough for KC, 80%, is it 60%? What kind of what percentage do you think, you know what, I think the Chiefs will be fine if he's blank percent? Yeah, I would say 75. That's where I'd put it. Um, I I think the way that the Bills are playing, I think you can't, I think at that point you can feel pretty confident with the 75% of Patrick Mahomes, but just still a really good quarterback, better than most quarterbacks in our league. I, I think the majority of teams would take... 75% 75% of Patrick Mahomes on their team. Exactly. In a heartbeat, nonetheless. Exactly. No, I, I agree with you. There's just such a wide range of outcomes from the Buffalo Bills. Like, if they play what they had, what they did heading into the postseason in the regular season, they're going to need more than 75% of Mahomes. But if they play like they did against Baltimore and maybe Indianapolis, I think the Chiefs could get by with maybe 65 or 70% of, an, of a normally healthy Mahomes. So it really depends on... Who are these Buffalo Bills? Because we've seen the good and the bad and the ugly. We've seen the good, the bad, the ugly from the Buffalo Bills. So which Bills team is going to is going to come out there and play Sunday? I'll also say going to 
the Packers Bucks game and talking about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Whenever there are big games like this, it's always, you know, a legacy game. What does this mean for a player's legacy? You know, we talked about we started the podcast talking about Breeze and Rivers. And Aaron Rodgers, although I don't think he's not going to retire within the next two years, three years, I think he's obviously playing great well into his late 30s, so he could play, you know, until he's 41, 42, maybe even 43. But he, I think, if he wants to be remembered as a top five to ten quarterback and cement himself in that conversation, he has to win another Super Bowl. He has to win another Super Bowl because the conversation with Breeze is, yeah, he won that Super Bowl, you know, in, in the beginning of his Saints tenure, and then he and then he went, you know, over a decade, you know, no Super Bowls. He had opportunities in the last four or five years of his career, and he never got to the big game. If Aaron Rodgers wants to cement himself as one of the greatest quarterbacks to play the game, he's going to have to win a second Super Bowl because there are a bunch of quarterbacks who you know, are kind of in that one Super Bowl mix. You know, Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. You know, Jim Kelly never won, but went to four. So, you know, it's great. Aaron Rodgers won for one in Super Bowls. A lot of quarterbacks would obviously happily take that. But I do think if we are going to talk about him cementing himself in the conversation with the likes of Elway and Marino and Unitas, he's going to have to get that second Super Bowl championship sooner rather than later because as great as he's playing now and as great as that Packers team is playing now, ask Dan Marino, you never know what the future holds. You never know if you will ever get back to that Super Bowl at any age, let alone a guy who is already 37 years old. So, Shai, I'll turn to you now as we wrap up this edition of the podcast. Are there any last thoughts on either of the games Breeze's career, Philip Rivers's career, they just want to touch on as a, as we head into championship weekend. You know, not not much. I am I'm really, you know, excited for both of these matchups, kind of the kids' table and, you know, the grandpas, um, respectively. But there's no middle ground. There's no you know Rodgers and Brady, they're I believe their uh average age is forty. And the average age of Mahomes and I was 24. There's no middle ground. It's, yeah, yeah, you said it. The kids' table and the grandparents' table. And right now, kind of looking at these two tables, I guess, I'm feeling more confident with the experience of the grandpas and of how those two teams have been playing recently. And I think, you know, I truly believe that an NFC team has kind of a better chance, I think, to, to win a Super Bowl, despite kind of those young, exciting prospects, you know, in Mahomes and Allen and those offenses and in those teams, which are maybe, you know, a little more, you know, finesse-based. You know, I think especially the Bills and the um, the Chiefs are very, like, kind of finesse-based. And I think back to that game, it kind of seems like maybe the the team that's going to dominate physically, that's going to play more physical, could win that game. So I think... Um, for me, that's that's going to be a key there. Um, and I think that could also be a key if we see one of these teams play, um, you know, an NFC team, which I think is more physical, having a guy like Devin White, you know, possibly in, uh, in Tampa, guys like Jair Alexander, who is a corner, but it's still physical, jams receivers at the line, Kenny Clarks, the Smith brothers, uh 
JPPs. You know, you I feel like from these two defenses in the NFC, we see a little bit more physicality. And even up front, I think, running the ball with strong offensive lines. So I think that's, you know, for me, could very be very well be the difference um, as we kind of look forward and as this postseason begins to wrap up. So that's it for me, Alex. Yeah, Packers, obviously, we're not missing David Bakhtiari whatsoever. And yeah, we talk about the quarterbacks all the time, especially on the NFC side and the legacy and greatness of Rodgers and Brady. But both these teams, very physical, have sneaky good defenses, and obviously both have great offensive lines. You know what? Maybe not so much the players and the quarterbacks, but you know what the tables themselves have in common? What, Alex? They both probably do not want the Bills to win, because if they do, I think we'll all know that there will be no more tables if the Bills win, if the Bills were to win Sunday in advance to the Super Bowl. So that's going to do it for this edition, the championship edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this championship edition of the podcast. Obviously, winner goes to the Super Bowl. Stakes, uh, I guess they could be a little higher for the Super Bowl, obviously, but it's tough to get any higher for the stakes uh, than the championship weekend. So, again, we're just hoping for two great games. They should be really fun games to watch. They should come down to the wire and have a lot of nail-biting action. So that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. For Shy Dweck, I'm Alex Rubinson. Thanks, to, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast.